Hi, this is Ian Wolfe, producer, host and writer for Diffusion Science Radio. I need your support. You can support Diffusion by downloading a free Audible audiobook from audibletrial.com science. Just for getting you to try them out, Audible will pay me a small reward. Or you could click on an Amazon link on diffusionradio.com and Amazon will kick a few percent of what you pay them my way. Please, make a donation directly with the PayPal button on www.diffusionradio.com. Diffusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, solar racing with Rob Island. But first up, here's the news. A blood test for Cigaterra fish poisoning? It's estimated that around 500,000 people every year experience acute Cigaterra poisoning from eating fish that have been eating fish that ate poisonous microalgae in the waters around tropical reefs. The microalgae make the ciguatoxins that cause neurological and digestive problems. About 5% of people who get ciguatera poisoning will develop a chronic, multi-symptom, multi-system illness, which can last years, called a chronic inflammatory response syndrome. Symptoms include exhaustion, trouble with thinking and memory, burning cold, tingling, numbness, muscle cramps, pain, and sensitivity to light. There's no commercially available diagnostic test or treatment. And 5% of 500,000 is 25,000 cases of chronic inflammatory response syndrome from acute ciguatera poisoning every year. I was one of them. A transcriptome is the set of all the RNA molecules transcribed by a cell or set of cells. The research team was from Proteogenomics in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, the NOAA Center of Excellence for Oceans and Human Health at Hollings Marine Laboratory, Charleston, South Carolina, and the Center for Research on Biotoxin-Associated Illnesses in Pocomoke, Maryland. The team examined the transcriptome of the blood cells of 11 people who suffer ciguatera-induced chronic inflammatory response syndrome and compared them with 11 controls. They found that the ciguatoxins disrupted the expression of seven important genes in the blood cells. Where expression is the way that the genes make proteins, by making RNA messenger molecules. These genes produce proteins for wound healing, adaptive immunity, where specific immune cells are produced in response to a specific infection, and innate immunity, the body's first line of defense to any kind of infection, inflammation. These genes overlapped with areas that have been shown to be disrupted in mice given acute ciguatera poisoning. The team found disruptions of innate and adaptive immune mechanisms on the level of genes and proteins expressed in the blood of people affected by acute ciguatera poisoning. 
they suspect some people have a higher chance of progressing to chronic inflammatory response syndrome after acute ciguatera poisoning due to some previously disrupted genes which regulate human leukocyte antigen. Human leukocyte antigen genes control which proteins are expressed on the surface of cells for antibodies to pick up when they patrol the immune system. The antigen genes are also implicated in allergic reactions, organ transplant rejections, and autoimmune disease. Understanding how the toxin-causing ciguatera disrupts the way that genes in human blood affect inflammation and the way they protect the body from infection will help in the development of blood tests and therapies for chronic ciguatera fish poisoning. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Rob Ireland is the business manager for the SunSwift Solar Racing Team at the University of New South Wales. I visited him at the university to find out how the new solar-powered racing cars may end up on a street near you. I began by asking Rob, who are SunSwift? So SunSwift is a non-profit group of students who build and race solar cars. Uh, the team's been around since 1995, and since then it's produced about five different cars. Uh, typically, solar-powered cars, you know, they're powered by the sun, they have solar panels. Previous, most car, solar, solar cars you think of as being, you know, these one-seater, very flat, sort of spaceship-type uh, cars, but we produced our first four cars were very similar to those type of cars, but now um, with our latest car Eve, which we raced in 2013 for the, in the World Solar Challenge, and and we're racing again this year, it's sort of like a practical car. And where do you race? The World Solar Challenge is what the team's traditionally built the cars for. It's a 3,000 kilometer race from Darwin to Adelaide, held every two years. Uh, a lot of the best universities in the world, you know, MIT, Stanford, Cambridge, they all have teams, and all these teams come to Australia for this for this event. And there are a number of different categories, you know, from uh, Challenger class, which is where you see these flat solar panel, sort of flat spaceship cars. And now we have the Cruiser class emerge, which is where we have more practical uh, cars where points are, points are awarded for, you know, comfort and, and driver practicality as, as well as speed. And when the cars are racing, they have a storage battery as well as the solar panels? Yes, especially in our category, the Cruiser class, because we're, we're producing larger vehicles that are sort of you know, got two to four seats. We have batteries that can run, you know, you can even just charge them from a power station. And then you've got the solar that charges that battery, which then powers the motor. At slower speeds, you know, 50, 60 Ks, our car can run just on solar. Um, however, when you get up to higher speeds, which is, you know, approaching over 100 Ks an hour, you're using the battery as well as the solar. But on a typical day, you can get about 800 kilometers out of our car Eve. Um, about 500 kilometers of that is from the battery and an additional 300 kilometers of that comes from the sun. So what's, what's your average speed when you're racing? Average speed would probably be over, over 100 kilometers an hour. Well, last year uh, in July, we broke a F an FIA world record for the fastest electric car over 500 kilometers on a single charge. So at, for that, for that uh, world record, we achieved an average speed of 107 kilometers an hour, which is including pit stops and about 112 kilometers if you discount the, the pit stops. So that's, that's you know, quite a high speed to do over a long distance for an electric car. 
What are the rules for the solar race? Well, I guess there are certain design features that cars must adhere to, like certain, just to make it more fair, because, you know, otherwise you'd have teams with multi-million dollar budgets, which teams do have, you know, killing everybody else. So, you know, you've got, you know, a certain number of cells you're allowed on the, on the, on the car. You've got certain weight restrictions, certain safety features so that every vehicle is safe. Um, for our category, the, the cruiser class, because we need to recharge our batteries as well as use this, you know, we can't just use solar for the whole journey to get if we're going to go at high speeds so we're allowed only one or two recharge well two recharges this year which is fairly low so solar is going to play a pretty big role in this year's race and you're looking into commercializing your results now yeah well it's kind of we've got to the point where we've created this solar car which looks really cool it looks like a sports car it's very sleek people think people are excited by it it drives really well you know it can travel long distances really fast and it's, we just get we do a lot of events and we get a lot of media attention and everybody asks us what's the next step when are we going to see this on the road and right at this point in time solar, what the technology we use is quite expensive you know the car we, the car needs to be very light so that the solar panels can can power the car and, and the carbon fiber is still quite expensive for you know mass production the solar cells are definitely decreasing in price but they're still quite expensive with the wiring and encapsulation all of that stuff but there's definitely a massive interest from the consumer sector and we do have a car that can function as a commercial car. We have had talks with companies that are, you know, deal with IP, you know, law firms, uh, venture capital companies, just discussions about what we can do. And it's definitely something that we could release you know, in a fairly niche market. I don't think we'd try to make solar cars the next Tesla or next Toyota, but they are something that people would want to drive. They have a certain novelty. They have certain features, you know, they can recharge themselves when you go out in the day and when you leave it in the sun. And that's, you know, in a world where sort of sustainability is so, is so fashionable and so important, I think there's definitely a market for solar cars in the next five to 10 years. So if you had your solar town car, you wouldn't want a garage? Yeah, you'd want to leave it out in the sun and get it, let it recharge. Yeah, you get about four hours of sun will get you about 150 kilometers. So, yeah, and that's, and when you're traveling at slow speeds, mostly when you are to work, you know, you're not even using any petrol, uh, any, any charge at all. So there's a lot of novelties to a solar car, a lot of, a lot of features, a lot of advantages. And what sort of solar panels, what sort of photovoltaic panels are you actually using on the cars? Are these the same as the ones we'd get on the roof? Yes. So one thing we wanted to do with our cars, we wanted it to be a practical solar car. So we use silicon monocrystalline solar cells, which is the same ones used in your house. They're donated to us from a sponsor, SunPower, who are a big American solar panel company. And we have some of the highest efficiency silicon cells on our car that you can buy. So rough, currently they're around 23.7% um, efficiency, which is very high. Your average ones on your house would vary between 15 and 20%, depending on how much money you spend. And what sort of storage batteries are you using? Um, we use the same batteries as a Tesla Model S or as you'd have in your mobile phone. So they're a Panasonic lithium-ion battery. Uh, we have about a thousand cells, single cells. So the cells are about, well, they're 18650s, so that's the dimensions, about six and a half centimeters and 18 centimeter diameter. And we have about a thousand of these in our car. That's about 60 kilograms of weight. The Tesla has about 7,000 of these. So yeah, that's, you know, it's quite a big advantage actually when you can when you think about solar cars is that you don't need as many batteries they're a much more efficient vehicle um, and what's it going to take for you to be able to get into the commercial market for cars in australia 
I think it will take, I guess we need to sort of think about not just the technology and the costs, but also about sort of intellectual property of the car. Um, Cause you know, a lot of people are different people working on it at different time. We are a student group. Um, so people often move on to other careers after a few years of being with the team. So to get it to a commercial stage, I think we'd need to figure out how Sunswift could become a company. And then if, if, it was, if we were to go down that path and who would, own, who would have ownership of IP and that way we'd sort of then go to investors and think, okay, what, who, you know, this is what we can do. This is the sort of company we have. That this is the car we can produce roughly. This is how much it costs. And then we'd, ha then we'd attract investors. And from there we'd start perhaps, you know, we'd have to restructure the team in a way that you'd have people working for, you know, become like a company student group rather than just a, a volunteer not-for-profit. And where does the funding come from? Well, quite a lot of our funding comes from sponsors. So you can see them on our car. We've got stickers on our car, on our website. Um, a lot of in-kind support, so mentorship from engineering companies, uh, from manufacturer, in-kind support from manufacturers of electronic and machine parts. Um, solar cells, obviously, with the encapsulations are given to us and the cells themselves. Um, the carbon parts have been donated. But a lot of our cash sponsorship comes from a few other sponsors as well. Um, and from the University Faculty of New, University of New South Wales Faculty of Engineering. Are, they provide some financial support as well. We're predominantly engineers and we're pushing this technology. A lot of what, it's not just what we're about. We do a lot of, especially as we're a not-for-profit, we try to do a lot of events with the public. So we do a lot of publicity stunts, try to interact with the media. We do public events where we just go to local councils and showcase our car and talk to anybody who's interested. And we present to a lot of schools, um, around New South Wales about what we do, try and inspire like, ne the next generation of engineers to, to you know, see what students could do as engineers and uh, you know, get people excited about solar technology. So it's sort of two fronts from this technology, technological sort of uh, boundary pushing front and then also trying to get the message out that solar cars are really cool and they can do these sort of things because a lot of people don't know. So that's currently sort of our two main aims with the team. So another thing sort of towards our goal of you know, getting a more commercial car where our next goal for this year is to get a car road legal so we're hoping that our car becomes the first road legal sport solar sports car in the southern hemisphere by may this year so what we're planning on doing is you know well it's it's requiring a huge overhaul of all the engineering components of the car so we're stripping everything away and putting everything back together to make to to produce a car that's at the same standard safety standard performance standard and comfort standard of any car that you drive so it's kind of bridging that gap between just a, a car built just for function and a car that's built for practicality and that you want to drive. With a road legal solar car, it's a pretty exciting thing to have because it enables a lot more PR opportunities for the team. So once we've sort of built this car, which is, and it's looking like it's going to happen, it's going really well. We're going to be firstly doing events around Sydney. So driving over the Harbour Bridge, getting a lot of media attention, a lot of hype around the, the idea. Um, and then later in the year in July, we're going to be doing a drive around Southeast Australia, so from Sydney to Melbourne, to Adelaide, back to Sydney, talking to a lot of schools, all in rural communities about what we're doing, the benefits of renewable energy, and also what it's like to be a student engineer building really cool things. Um, and then of course in October, we have the World Solar Challenge, which is the, yeah, the big race. And we're hoping to do pretty well this year. Um, we have, there are some other teams that make similar cars like ours. Uh, last, in 2013, we came third overall, um, even though we were fastest because there were two teams, a Dutch team and a German team that had built more refined cars. Um, you know, uh, they had four seats and 
you know, they but they've you know they're they our car is more of a sports car and theirs is more of like a family car, but you know they're very cool teams. Yeah, so it's it's yeah we're trying to get it's what else am I trying to say apart from we've got these three events and we're trying to get people excited about it. Oh yeah, another thing is the AD, uh, another thing I should mention as well is that when we can't claim that we're the first road legal solar car in the world because there are the solar cars in the world that have been road registered in in other countries. But Australian design rules, which we have to comply to to get it road registered, are perhaps some of the strictest in the world. So in, even in Europe, they, the standards for a road, a road legal solar car are not the same as they are in Australia. So really, we're, by being the first regular car in Australia, we're producing perhaps one of the most advanced solar cars in the world. Um, yeah. And I understand to make it road legal, you have to be able to crash several cars. Oh, no, you can get a, you can get around that. So we're not going for an ANCAP safety rating. We, a car is a bit too expensive to crash. But as long as we can demonstrate through FEA, which is sort of a, a computer technology which can determine what forces interact on different materials and determine whether they break or they're, they're strong enough. Um, and also just from, uh, well, yeah, it's mainly FEA analysis and also just uh, safety engineering. You know, there's lots of standards we adhere to and if we meet those, then the car's considered to be safe, rather than you know us having to just crash it in all different places and then determine if, it, if it's safe. So there's ways to get around that. And have you looked at the thin film sort of inkjet printed solar panels that are supposed to be almost any day now? Uh, we get uh, we have a lot of people ask us that about these sort of you know clear solar cells that you can put on windows and that they're really light. At this stage, the technology is probably a little bit expensive and a little, you know, right now solar cells, you know, that technology is quite new. It perhaps is not as efficient as the silicon cells that we currently use, um, but it's definitely something in the future, you know, five, ten years, I think that it will emerge as, as a new as a new technology, um, you know, that's, that's commercial. At this stage, I think it's a little bit expensive. And if people want to play with solar power on their own and they can't put them on the roof is there any sort of information on your site for people to get into this themselves as for education you know education for people to build their own cars on our website there isn't so much i mean it's it's we're always trying to figure out new problems for ourselves as well as others and it'd be a pretty big website task to get it on there it would be an interesting task because even if we were to go commercial that's what people you know people might want to just you know buy parts themselves together they make their own solar cars and, and you know that's definitely a market opportunity there so in the future I think it'd be something really good as, and also as part of our educational program to sort of provide more info on what we do and how it all works I think that's a goal that we should set for the next for the next year to get more information on our website but as for a full instructional sort of how to build a solar car it's probably a, a pretty big task to put on a website like you'd yeah, at this stage, yeah. Well, maybe leave that to the Electric Vehicle Association, the hobbyists who build electric cars at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. We'd be happy to collaborate with other people who want to know more about how to work on integrate solar technology into, into cars um, and electric vehicles. We'd be very, very happy to talk to them and work. But as for a, you know, a full how-to guide, it's, it's quite, a big, quite a big task. And also, a lot of our, what makes our car very unique is... Uh, Guarded, guarded information, you know, we're, we're competing against some very competitive universities in the World Solar Challenge, so we want to make sure we have every advantage. And if people want to look for you online, where do they look? Uh, well, we have a very, int we, we'll have a website, of course, which is sunswift.com, 
And then we have a very active Facebook page as well. So if you type in Sunswift or UNSW Sunswift Solar Racing Team, we should pop up. We have a Twitter profile at Sunswift and an Instagram profile at UNSW Sunswift as well. Are you talking about a lot of outreach that you do? Are there any events coming up? As for the moment, we are, we're still building our car. So with our outreach events, you know, we go to schools, we like to bring our car along. It's a massive draw card. So right now, our car's in pieces. Though once we get it road legal in May and June, we're going to be hopefully presenting at a couple of schools. And then, of course, July, we're going to be talking to a number of schools outside Sydney. And later in the year, every few weeks, we'll probably present at a school that would be happy to have us come along. Um, we, we can, we, we've done presentations from anywhere from kindergartens right up to year 12. We cater from you know, running workshops for kids where they can build their own solar cars and then also integrating year, 10, year 9, 10, 11, 12 physics and science courses into how our car actually works. So providing a context for their actual syllabus, um, which is, yeah, so we've, we've done a number of presentations for a number of different years and we can tailor it to be as educational as, or as hands-on as, as people want. What sort of price do you reckon your commercial solar car could possibly, would it be cheaper than a Tesla Roadster or would it be in that high $150,000 plus sort of range? Currently, because our car is a prototype, it would, and you know, we do use quite expensive parts. A lot of them aren't mass produced like you would have in a, you know, in a traditional car. A car is probably worth about a half a million dollars just because it's lightweight carbon, the cells have all been produced, you know, and that's not including labor. If we were to commercialize it, you know, you'd still say probably be, you know, it, the cost would still be around the 200 grand mark, like, you know, hy you know, hypothetical, like I don't, it's not, a, sure. you know, it's sort of unquoted sort of figure, but yeah, it would be a very high range. If we were to commercialize them, it would be at that upper market, you know, no, that real novelty of people who, you know, they want to have one, they want to have something new, they want to have something that, that draws people's attention. So it would be a sort of a very exclusive, high-end market for a solar car, I think that's where we would go. Well, hopefully only to start with, because I reckon everyone would like to ditch petrol and possibly even the mains. Yeah, it's, it's, I think in the future, like with carbon technology, you know, carbon's getting cheaper every year. Solar cells are, well, they've already reached parity with coal powers in, in terms of cost efficiency, and they're just projected to you know, constantly get cheaper and cheaper. So. It would even be, you know, it even might be you get to a point where people, where there's electric cars, just standard electric cars come out, we could arrange for, well, there could be services where people put solar panels on their cars, you know, for, you know, just for extra recharging. And it could be so cheap that it would, you know, just be something that people don't even think about. That's definitely a possibility. Um, but as for a cheap everyday car for solar cells, it's definitely, I think, Initially, you know, we kind of initially it would be something that's fairly expensive, and then later on, you know, as as things always these things always happen, uh, as things always happen, you know, the technology will get cheaper. There's no reason you couldn't drive one of our cars around in the future for under 50 grand. Like, that would be an ultimate goal. That would when that would be when solar cars become, you know, real, really competitive forms of transport. You know, with with, with petrol and electric cars. Are you aware of any car companies that do have solar panels for their electric cars? Oh, well, the Nissan Leaf has a few solar cells on the back of it just to recharge the electronic components of the car, not to actually power the vehicle itself. And I think that, is, even in the early stages, would be something that would be worth having on, you know, solar cells would be worth having on electric cars just to reduce battery losses, because the more efficient they are, the better. Um, but as for solar cell, I mean, I think with Tesla, the reason they haven't gone solar cars instead of just electric cars is they've done things in stages. 
So, it, you know, they just want to get, you know, slowly build a car that's functions just like a petrol car. You know, it's very heavy. You know, solar cells at this stage wouldn't provide enough power to get a Tesla Model S that's 2.1 tons uh, moving at 100 k to an hour. Um, that's why our cars are about really, really light. So he's kind of created an electric car that compares very, it's very similar or just a little bit better than a petrol car. I think solar, cells, solar cars are a little bit more advanced, a little bit more niche than, than that. Once people start driving electric cars and they like them, but then you know they want something that is perhaps even more efficient, that's when solar cars will emerge. So I think, I think, I think electric cars now as they are are awesome, and I think Tesla is a great company. But as for them adopting solar cars, I think it'll be a little while just because of the initial cost of the cells and just and the fact that vehicles need to be lightweight. People people don't like change to happen too quickly. Like the majority of people don't. So I'm sure in the future it'll. I'm sure you could put solar panels on your garage and on your house roof if you own those, and then you could recharge your electric car that way, perhaps? Absolutely. That's a very good way to go. I think that's what Tesla's trying to aim for at this stage. I mean, that's a you know, solar technology would provide you know, a very good way to, to recharge. You know, even for charging stations in the inner city, it's just a, a very good idea. Mm. It's a very efficient technology to have on any building or any, you know, anywhere. Rob Island, thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much for having me here, Richard. It was awesome. That was Rob Ireland from Sunswift talking about building and racing solar-powered electric cars and getting them onto the road for your daily commute. You can find out more at sunswift.com. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. A big thank you to Shelley from Arizona and Jeffrey from Artaman for their contributions. It really helps. This show almost didn't happen due to a comedy of technical disasters, starting with a blackout that probably isn't related to the big mass of electrically charged gas from the sun that hit the earth overnight. I need now to urgently buy a new hard drive, a new monitor, a new mobile phone, and a proper external backup system. I've learned my lesson. Soon also new computers, but these ones can limp on a little longer. Would you like to hear your voice on Diffusion? Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, standing ovations, donations and helpful suggestions to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produced Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the community radio network, including 2HHH in Hornsby, Karingai, 2NVR in Nambucca Valley, 2XX in Canberra, and 3NBR in the Mallee border districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And do check the website for photos and information about this week's show. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. And to take us out, here's Jonathan Coulton's Code Monkey. You can hear more Jonathan Coulton on jonathancoulton.com. Code monkey, get up, get coffee. Code monkey, go to job. Code monkey, have boring meeting. 
boring manager Rob. Rob say code monkey, very diligent, but his output stink. His code not functional or elegant. What do code monkey think? Code monkey think maybe manager wanna write goddamn login page himself. Code monkey not say it out loud. Code monkey not crazy, just proud. Code monkey like Fritos. Code monkey like Tab and Mountain Dew. Code monkey very simple man with big warm fuzzy secret heart. Code monkey like you. Monkey have long walk back to cubicle. He sit down, pretend to work. Code monkey not thinking so straight. Code monkey not feeling so great. Code monkey like Fritos. Code monkey like Tab and Mountain Dew. Code monkey very simple man. Big warm fuzzy secret heart. Code monkey like you. Monkey thinks someday he have everything, even pretty girl like you. Code monkey just waiting for now. Code monkey says someday, somehow. Code monkey like Fritos. Code monkey like Tab and Mountain Dew. Code monkey very simple man. Big warm fuzzy secret heart. Code monkey like you. 